Mealtime inspiration. It's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Parker's Pensies. I'm your host, Parker Sedicase. I've got a couple of master's degrees in theology, and I'm working on another in philosophy of religion. And so from all of my studies, I get to talk with really awesome people about really fascinating ideas. But uh, unfortunately, throughout my studies, I haven't recorded all those. Uh, and maybe that's for the best, but uh, I still have all these great conversations with theologians and philosophers and businessmen and scientists and uh, et cetera. I want to record those uh, for you guys so that you get to learn as I learn. So the goal of this podcast then is to have fascinating conversations about uh, awesome ideas uh, with experts in philosophy, theology, nature, and life. I love thinking about cool stuff, so come think with me. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the axiology of theism with Class Cray. Um, it's just just came out in a new um, Cambridge Elements book, and we're going to cover as much as we can. It's a huge topic and it's really fascinating. It's really interesting and we can get lost in the weeds. Uh, we're going to get there, but uh, before we do, I want to thank everyone who has been uh, become a patron uh, over on Patreon. You guys are, are a huge help. Really appreciate the support. If you have benefited from this podcast and you haven't yet, please consider becoming a patron. You can find the link in the description wherever you're getting this podcast at. Uh, anything you uh, can help with would be awesome. That'd be huge. And also you get a lot of different prizes at different levels of your patronage. So go ahead and check those out. Another way uh, you can support the podcast is subscribing, going to Apple Podcasts, leave me a five-star review and a comment. And uh, if you want to talk with my guests, many of them are in my Parker's Pensies Ponciers uh, Facebook group. So you can find that there. I don't think I have a link in the description, but I might. Uh, if not, just search it on Facebook and uh, I'll let you in. So without further ado, let's jump into the axiology of theism. Class, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to meet you. I've enjoyed listening to some of your other shows and I'm really happy to be here. Oh, awesome, man. Well, um, as, as we jump in right here, uh, the word axiology is going to throw some people off. Can we just uh, define our terms? What, what is axiology? Yeah, so axiology is the study of value, and that might not really help if I just say that in terms of what the axiology of theism is. In fact, I think the name of this little area of philosophy is is a little bit inelegant, right? Mm. So maybe I can just explain what the question or the topic is in informal language. It's basically trying to figure out if things are or would be better if God exists mm. versus if God doesn't exist. Okay, that's very non-technical and informal, but that's the basic idea. Would, would things be better or worse if God exists. Okay. Um, and so you've, you've written a book on axiology, particularly axiology of theism. Uh, does that make you an axiologist or, or do you consider, um, do you find yourself in one particular sub-discipline of philosophy? Or are you a philosopher who, uh, who specializes in, in particulars? Yeah, so I'd say that my primary area is philosophy of religion, and as I'm sure I don't need to tell you or your audience, uh, one great thing about any of the philosophy ofs, philosophy of religion, philosophy of literature, philosophy of biology, if you're working in any of those philosophy of areas, you uh, have the opportunity to bring in lots of different uh, aspects of philosophy, right? So philosophers of religion might uh, look at epistemology or metaphysics insofar as it bears on religion. So yeah, so I'm a philosopher of religion. Uh, in this case, I'm attempting to uh, make some sense of of, uh, of this question uh, by bringing, of course, some metaphysics, some epistemology, some axiology, some ethics, all these things are brought to bear. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, how how old is this question, uh, this axiological question of theism? Like, do, is it is it relatively new? Can we can we push it all the way back to Plato to please uh, C.S. Lewis and um, and, yeah. and those folks? 
Yeah, I suppose there are some antecedents um, uh, in the history of philosophy that sort of try to touch on questions like these. But the contemporary scholarly discussion of this is really quite recent. I mean, it, it really starts with a very intriguing paper by uh, Guy Kahane a few years ago called Should We Want God to Exist? Now, notice I got to say this right away. That's the title is about what we should want not necessarily about what's better or worse, and those might be two different things. But in any case, uh, really, really interesting, provocative paper came out in uh, PPR Philosophy and Phenomenological Review, and uh, it's sort of uh, uh, generated this uh, contemporary discussion. So, you know, I think, I, you know, I think there have been a lot of uh, philosophical climates where the question wouldn't have um, come up, right? It wouldn't have made sense, uh, you know, if theism was sort of widely presumed, why on earth would you try to think about would things be better or worse if theism were true? Or it's presumed that the answer is obviously yes, things are better if the right. is true. Well, maybe the answer is yes, but of course, uh, you got to have arguments for it. We got we yeah. can test what are the better arguments and what are the worse arguments using the the tools of analytic philosophy. Yeah, is there a, is there any consideration in the axiology of theism um, for uh, for like what what Hume said about is and ought, and so like um, maybe we ought to think that. Um, that theism, protheism, as it's called, uh, is the better option. That we should be, we should believe that things would be better if God exists, if He existed. But um, that it doesn't affect uh, our beliefs in reality. Like, is there a is there a human gap there? Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the short answer is that that's uh, so far underexplored in the literature, right? There might even be pragmatic reasons for saying this is something you ought to believe, uh, uh, even if you're not sure that it is the case or something like that, right? So yeah, no, I think there's it's a nascent uh, literature. There's an awful lot of ways it could develop. Uh, let me just expand on that briefly, right? So, so far, much of the discussion has been theism of a certain sort. Versus naturalism. Well, right. there's lots of other things you could compare. There's all kinds of versions of theism. There's all kinds of versions of naturalism. There's all kinds of religious views that are not theistic. So you could do any kind of pairwise comparison of, of two views in an axiological way. Um, uh, it doesn't have to be these two. And uh, my uh, my friend and former student, Kirk Lohit, has done a lot of great work to broaden the discussion in that vein. But the question you pose is a good one as well, right? Maybe there are other ways that the discussion can and should be broadened. Yeah. Well, it's um, like you said, it's nascent and you've done a lot to formalize it uh, in this short little Cambridge, Cambridge Elements book. Um, but you brought up uh, theism and naturalism or atheism. Uh, what are we talking about when we when we have theism in mind here and, and naturalism in mind? Yeah, good. So I'll frame the, the topic the way I want to frame it for my purposes, but I don't want to say that that's the only or the best way that it sure. should be framed, right? So uh, let's let's define theism for our purposes as follows. Uh, there's a being, God, who is unsurpassable in power, knowledge, goodness, rationality, who freely created whatever contingent things there are, whose essence is fixed, uh, who exists necessarily, something like that. Of course, <laughs> everything I just said is controversial, right? There are people <laughs> right. who want to be theists who want to resist every, uh, every one of those conjuncts or any one of those conjuncts. So let's say that that's what we mean by theism. But of course, I'm not saying that's the only or the best model of God to consider. There are lots and lots of other ones. Uh, as for naturalism, what I want to say is this. Let's say that naturalism is the view that there are no supernatural entities or forces or processes or mechanisms. And then I want to add one other thing. I want to add to my definition of naturalism that um, there's no being or force or process who basically plays the same functional role that God is thought to play. And I'll just give you a quick example to, to see if that makes sense. So suppose, so here's a, a an anti-theistic consideration. Some people think, here's a bad thing about God's existence. Uh, our privacy is compromised, okay? So, so things are worse in at least this respect if God exists. Uh, we don't have, the, perfect privacy is impossible. Okay, so on naturalism, I want to say, look, there's no naturalistic being that's peering into the contents of our minds at all times, right? I want to have a straightforward naturalism with nothing that's playing the same role that God is thought to play. Okay, yeah, that that's really helpful. I wonder if, um, again, like you said, it's nascent and, and there's a lot of different directions. I wonder, could you do the same thing? So uh, we got like, like a bare theism in mind here. Um, could you do the same thing, like the axiology of... 
theisms uh, where you're saying like you should want uh, Christian theism or you you yeah. you should uh, over against bare theism or over against a uh, you know Trinitarian theism versus non-Trinitarian theism something something like that is that has that been done is that can so that be done? Very little of it uh, has been done, and I think absolutely it can be done. You might say, uh, you know, uh, either express it in terms of axiology, what what would be better? Would it be better if this version of theism were true or that version of if theism is true? Compare, for instance, theism and deism, right? So deism, yeah. let's say, is the view that God sets up the universe but uh, doesn't interfere with it or something like that, right? Uh, what, what world would you rather live in? Would you rather live in a theistic world or a deistic world? So defined. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then you straighten out your terms and, and have the discussion. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's lots of room for more comparisons like that. Uh, Kirk Lohey, who I mentioned earlier, has uh, done some work to compare um, not only theism with naturalism, but also with uh, J.L. Schellenberg's ultimism and also with an African view called Umbutu. So there's lots of other things that, that could uh, happen here in terms of these comparisons, and, and some of that work is beginning. But it's a, yeah, it's a newish field. There's a lot more that could be said. Man, that's so exciting. Yeah, that's really, really cool to think about. Um, I'm, I'm sure some people will say, well, who cares? You know, let's uh, let's talk about the truth, the truth of the matter. Um, but it's really interesting, like just taking a step back and saying, well, should we want this to be true? Yeah, uh, right. So it's 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 supposed to be orthogonal. That's a little bit controversial. But the, the idea is that this question is supposed to be orthogonal to whether theism or any of these other views really is true. Right. Like yeah. what would you uh, to put it sort of loosely, like what world would you rather live in? Would you rather live in a naturalistic world or a theistic world? Yeah. You should be able to have that conversation independent of the question of what world <laughs> you yeah. think you really are living in. Yeah. Well, and then so you brought up an interesting point in in the elements book about um, uh, a potential concern for the intelligibility of the comparative axiological yeah. project itself. Um, can you, do you mind just raising that for us and, and helping us yeah. think through that? Yeah, no problem. So so some people, when they hear this, often they're theists, by the way, when they hear this question, they they have one of two reactions. First of all, they say, well, look, it's obviously true that things are better if God exists. I mean, God is perfect goodness. What more do you want? End of story. Okay, well, right. maybe. Maybe that's correct. Um, but I think it deserves a more rigorous argument if it is correct. Uh, but then they also sometimes say, well, wait a minute, this question doesn't make any sense. Because hold on a minute, didn't you just say that if God exists, God exists necessarily? So theism is either necessarily true or necessarily false. In other words, putting that in the possible worlds talk that philosophers like to use, either God exists in every possible world or God exists in no possible worlds. Okay. So hold that thought before you mind. You've got this fork in the road. Either God exists in every world or in no world. But then wait a minute. The question is supposed to ask us to hold before our minds uh, one scenario where God exists and the other scenario where God doesn't exist. But ostensibly, one of those scenarios is not so much as logically possible, right? So it's like you're trying to compare two things, at most compare the value of two things, to speak a little bit loosely, one of which is incoherent or impossible. So how can you make that comparison? That's the that's the objection or the worry. And uh, uh, an initial response that that uh, Kahane made uh, that I have a lot of sympathy for actually is, well, wait a minute. Actually, we we do this sort of thing all the time in philosophy. That's not a complete response. We, ideally, we'd like a model <laughs> for how we can do it. Sure. But but look, if you're thinking about the problem of evil, you're thinking like, what well, what should the world look like if theism were true? And you're trying to compare that to how you, the world looks now. Suppose you're an atheist, right? You think mm-hmm. there's no God, and you think well, things would be a lot better. There'd be a lot less evil. Okay. However that argument goes, you're already doing that comparative work. You're trying to hold before your mind a theism scenario and a non-theism scenario. And maybe you yourself are committed to the idea that only one of those is so much as possible. Uh, but, uh, but you're doing it anyway, right? Yeah. Or if you're doing Pascal's wager, you're thinking, okay, now is it better for me to believe in God or to disbelieve in God? Okay, well, what would, what would happen to me if God exists and I believe in God? What would happen to me if God doesn't exist and I don't believe in God? You know, you're parsing out the four scenarios or whatever. You're doing that comparative stuff already. Mm-hmm. So the, the sort of short, quick answer is, hey, we do it all the time in philosophy. We do it in metaphysics. We do it in all sorts of areas. We discuss the pros and cons of rival views, at least one of which is uh, impossible. Everyone agrees, right? Um, but we might want a better story than that of how, yeah. we, how we can actually do this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, so in, in setting up this comparison, you give these uh, five generic positions. Um, I thought we could just broach those and then focus in for the rest of our time on um, 
global wide modal space protheism and then uh, local um local modal space pro and uh anti-theism if, if that's cool great, so great, can you lay out yeah. those those five for us yeah good so i've been i've been speaking sort of sort of loosely as though uh, there's really just these two options right things are better if god exists or things are worse if god exists but of course there are other options right mm -hmm. so i'll keep this very non-technical right so protheism just so everyone's clear right that's the view that things are better on theism than on naturalism now you've got to say what you mean by better and what you mean by things i can talk about that in a minute <laughs> Uh, Anti-theism says things are worse on theism than on naturalism, okay? But there are other alternatives, right? So you might, for instance, think that there are advantages and disadvantages of theism, and maybe you think that they're exactly tied, right? Well, uh, then you think there's sort of no net effect. You kind of are neutral on the question of whether God exists, right? Um, you think it makes no overall axiological difference, let's say. Okay, so I call that position neutralism. It's just a term I made up. Maybe you think another way to be a neutralist, by the way, is to think that um, God's existence, uh, nature, or activity makes no difference at all to the overall value of things. We still have to talk about what these things are. Uh, but if you think that God's existence makes no difference at all, then you're also a neutralist. So either it makes a difference in both directions and they cancel out, or you think it doesn't make a difference at all, and then you're a neutralist. Okay, that's the third position. Here comes the fourth. You might say, my goodness, this is really complicated. Like I'm trying to somehow hold before my mind all the consequences of theism and all the consequences of the denial of theism like how on earth can any mere mortal uh do that um well if you think that if you think the question is in principle answerable but not answerable by us because it's too big or too complicated or whatever then i'm going to call you an agnostic that's not an agnostic about whether god exists to be clear that's an agnostic about that's to be an agnostic about this value question right to be agnostic about what uh, about what difference in value god's existence would or does make and then the final position, I call it quietism, uh, but that's basically the position that we talked about a little bit earlier, that this uh, comparative uh, question is sort of incoherent or impossible to uh, discuss uh, sensibly or whatever, right? Uh, you might think that no sensible comparisons are to be made, so the question can't be answered in principle. Whereas the agnostic says, oh, maybe they could be answered in principle, but they're much too complicated for us. We can't answer them in practice. The quietist goes even further and says, this doesn't make any sense, right? You cannot do these comparisons. They're unintelligible. Yeah. That's the quietist view. Okay. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. I think what's, uh, I don't know why I find this so interesting, but like mixing and match matching, um, I don't, it's like a de jure, de, de facto kind of thing. Uh, not, not, doesn't quite fit that, but someone who doesn't believe in God, so a, a non-theist or an atheist, uh, an atheist who is also a, a generic pro-theist. They think, sure. hey, things would be better if there were a God. Absolutely. I don't believe there is, but they would, or the, the, the craziest one is like someone who's like, yeah, there's a God, but my, I don't like him and my life would be better if there wasn't a God. Yeah. And so they're, uh, a generic, or there's some sort of variant of anti-theist when it comes to these evaluative judgments. But so the former one, yeah, the, the, the former one certainly has actual exemplars, right? Michael Tooley is an atheist who's also a pro-theist, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so he thinks there's no God, but he thinks things would be a lot better in various ways if there were a God. So absolutely, you can be an atheist and be a pro-theist. The other combination is maybe less typical, right? Uh, so I believe in God, someone says, but I also think that God's existence makes things worse than they would otherwise be that combination has i should say has been alleged to be incoherent some people say <laughs> look if you hold that pair of views you're somehow confused like there's you know you're not understanding what theism means if you think that things are in any way worse if theism is true right <laughs> um i'm not so sure about that right um uh but in any case it's an open question Certainly, it's a bit. It's yeah. It's, it's an unusual thing to imagine someone believing in God while also thinking that God's existence makes things worse. Yeah. Um, I wonder. So this is kind of we're going to talk about things, and I think you're going to you're going to bring up persons as well. Um, but like you know, non non human persons like the devil, um, who might, if he exists and is a person like us, uh, might believe in God but hate him. Mm -hmm. And think, hey, life would be better without this God. Um, so I don't know. I just want to push back and, uh, on someone who thinks that that might be uh, unintelligible, that perhaps if, if you believe in Satan, then he is such a person. 
That's right. Uh, right. You could think that. So, so here we have to carefully distinguish, I guess, between the axiological judgment and the preference or the rational preference. Uh, right? Okay. So, so a Satan like that might, might, um, so one thing you could say is it's rational for such a being, given that being's interests, whatever they are, uh, to prefer that God not exist. Right. Of course, that could be contested. You might say, well, it's not rational in some full-blooded sense to prefer that God doesn't exist. You're kind of mis yeah. mistaken somehow, right? But from a certain self-interested perspective, that kind of rationality might say, yeah, sure, it's rational um, to prefer that God not exist. But that might even be compatible with uh, holding that um, God's existence does make things better in certain ways, right? Yeah. Satan might be willing to concede that. Okay. This is good stuff. This is like, yeah, this is all new to me. So it's really fun to uh, to be thinking through this with you. Well, it's kind of new to everybody. And, <laughs> that's uh, right. That's, uh, that's that's one thing I really like about it. Yeah. So we finally found a counterexample to uh, Alfred North Whitehead that uh, maybe these aren't just footnotes to Plato. Well, you know, I better be careful here. I'm no expert on the whole entire history of philosophy. I'm sure there are uh, antecedents of this discussion uh, floating about that I'm not familiar with. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's go over uh, some considerations for uh, protheism and then uh, some for antitheism. I think you have in the book, I think you have six for each. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, I can run through some. I want to emphasize before I do that this are these are considerations that bear on persons, right? So I said I've been talking about things, and then you mentioned persons, and someone might get confused, like maybe persons aren't things or whatever. Yeah. So by things, I just mean the object of your axiological evaluation. Okay. Hmm. What is it that you're considering? What is it that God's existence makes better or worse or makes no difference to? Is it a world? Is it a bunch of worlds? Is it a person? Is it a bunch of people? Is it like some segment of a person's life or whatever, right? So you have to, when you do this stuff, you have to be super clear. This has become increasingly obvious to me that you have to be super clear about what it, what's the thing that you're focusing on. In other words, what's the object of your axiological evaluation? Okay, so having said that, let's talk for a minute, as you suggested, about uh, the lives of persons. So here are some things I'm just going to flip through because I got a, got some notes here that'll help me remember what I said. Um, here are some reasons that protheists have offered for thinking that God's existence makes persons' lives better or makes things better for persons' lives than they would otherwise be. Okay, and some of these I think will be fairly familiar to your listeners, but maybe not in this context. Yeah. Okay, so suppose you take a view of God that wasn't actually part of my definition of theism, but maybe you can argue that it flows from it. Suppose you take a view of God that God is the you know dispenser of ultimate cosmic justice, right? If theism is true, in the end, uh, the good are going to get their just desserts and the bad are going to get their uh, just punishments. Suppose you take that view. Okay, so um, you get ultimate cosmic justice on theism. But you don't get that on naturalism. There's no naturalistic force or process that sees to it that the wicked uh, that the wicked will receive their just desserts and that the good will uh, will prosper or receive their just reward or whatever. There's nothing on naturalism that guarantees that, right? So you might say, well, that's an advantage of theism. It's point one in the theism column, let's say, yeah. right? Uh, another familiar one is this, and tell me if you want me to go faster or slower, by all means. Another one is this. Uh, some people, as you know, have said that without God, there is no morality, right? It's a hugely controversial view. Uh, so, uh, look, if it's a good thing for there to be an objective moral system, and if you can only get that on theism, then that's a respect in which things are better on theism than on naturalism. Hugely controversial, right? Yeah. To really make that case, you have to argue not only that something like the divine command theory uh, is the most plausible account of morality on theism, you also have to argue that there's no plausible account of morality on naturalism. And of course, that's going to be heavy sledding, right? A lot yeah. of philosophers will disagree with that. Moving on. The next one in the pro-theism column is, is going to be this. Some people have argued, and there's a whole literature on this, some people have argued that only on theism can our lives be meaningful. If God exists, our lives can be or maybe always are meaningful. If God doesn't exist, our lives are always meaningless, more likely to be meaningless, whatever, something like yeah. that, right? So you have an advantage for theism if that's true. Of course, it's hugely controversial. <laughs> um Next one uh, in the pro-theism column is this. It's pretty widely accepted in philosophy of religion circles that if God exists, there might be evil, 
but none of it is going to be gratuitous or pointless. God's going to ensure that evil only occurs in order to achieve some goal or some purpose or something like that. So you've got this cosmic mechanism, God, uh, mechanism is not quite the right term, but you know what I mean? You've got, uh, you've got God ensuring that there's no gratuitous evil. Move over to naturalism, you've got nothing doing that role. There's an awful lot of pointless evil on naturalism, not just in our world, but in lots of other worlds as well. Right. Uh, next one in the protheism column is this. Uh, some theists have held uh, that if people suffer on theism, if they suffer in really terrible ways, God will ensure that they always benefit from that suffering. Mm-hmm. So it's related to the no gratuitous evil, but it's a little bit distinct from it. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you've got no guarantee like that if God doesn't exist, right? People suffer all the time on naturalism, and uh, there's no guarantee that that suffering is going to benefit them in any way, right? On naturalism, you know, lives are lives are destroyed and, and ruined, and people suffer in all sorts of dreadful ways, and there's nothing to ensure that those uh, terrible sufferings are going to benefit anybody, let alone the person who undergoes them. Yeah. Okay. Last one on the protheism column uh, that I've got anyway is uh, this thought. And interestingly, this comes out of an argument for atheism. So let me explain. Um, There's an argument for atheism called the hiddenness argument, family of arguments, really, that says that if there were a God, God would ensure that there's pretty well universal belief in God's existence. Okay, why? Well, believing that God exists, if indeed God does, is a good thing. And as J.L. Schellenberg, the foremost defender of this argument, says, uh, believing in God is a prerequisite for entering into an explicit conscious relationship with God. And that's really good, both instrumentally and intrinsically. So if theism, most or all people believe in God, and that's a really good thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But of course, if naturalism is true, there's no such guarantee. There's no such guarantee that um, some or many or all people are going to believe in God. And it's not so clear it would be a good thing if naturalism yeah. is true or if lots of people believe in God. All these people have a false belief, right? Yeah. So uh, this is an interesting case where an argument for atheism furnishes a protheistic consideration. That's, so that's, that's my six on the protheism side. That's amazing. Did, um, is that last one on Schellenberg, is that unique to you? Did you grab that from from somewhere else? or? Well, I don't want to take credit. I mean, really, it's it's Schellenberg's consideration. He doesn't couch it in these terms, but it's yeah. pretty clear that he, thinks that he thinks that this is what a loving God would do. I mean, he anchors the whole story in God's love. If you really think that a loving God exists and a loving God wants people to flourish and what's required for flourishing is a personal relationship, then God's going to inculcate or otherwise ensure uh, belief in God, right? Uh, he's really saying things would be better if God exists, yeah. right? Yeah. So now that argument is immensely controversial as well, right? <laughs> That's uh, right. But, we had uh, a whole but, class on that argument. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So I wonder, this might go back to the, the human uh, question I had earlier, but if we're, uh, let's say there's an axiological um, theist, pro- axiological pro theist uh, apologist, and they convince in, uh, doxaxic uh, atheist, someone who believes there is no God, that they um, should be a pro-theist axiologically. Is there anything that we can connect um, our axiological judgments, our value judgments to reality? Is there is there any other kind of argument, like maybe Lewis's argument from desire or something saying that like our axiological judgments are grounded or do give us, uh, point us towards truth mm-hmm. yeah so um this is not something i talk about in the book uh there you're right there have been arguments in this vein right um there have even been arguments not in a religious key right i'm thinking of uh jail uh john leslie's axiarchism right that it's sort of in the nature of good things to exist mm-hmm. uh, um so you might be able to draw that connection right that hasn't been my project to draw the connection between pro-theistic considerations and the existential claim that god exists this. Uh, but for sure, you could do that. For sure, you could go the other route, which you were hinting at earlier as well, and argue that, look, if you think it would be a good thing if God were to exist in all these ways, um, doesn't that make it more rational for you to believe that God does ah, exist, right? Yeah. Um, so so you could try to connect it that way as well, I suppose. Okay. Uh, but it's going to be complicated because, as, as I say, at least the final protheistic consideration that I trotted out uh, involves an argument for atheism 
atheism, right? Yeah. So, you know, if you just look at that one, you might think that pro-theism wins. If you find that really plausible, you might say pro-theism wins at the cost of theism. Right. right. If hiddenist right. arguments are, if hidden, if some hidden arguments is, if some hiddenist argument is sound, right, uh, then theism is false. Uh, but that might also secure a pro-theism against all yeah. the rivals. Which, which might be like the worst case scenario, because then you've convinced someone they should, that wouldn't it be great if there were a God, but there's not. Right. <laughs> Just double yeah, that's, the, that's the combination of views. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we talked about some pro-theistic uh, um, uh, considerations, but how about some, some anti-theistic ones? Yeah, good. So here's a here's one that's as old as the hills, right? So this is not new. To, this is a clear example of of uh, an element in this literature that's not new at all. So I suppose I should have mentioned it earlier, right? Suppose you think that if God exists, that God has foreknowledge, and that foreknowledge robs us of our freedom. Okay, mm-hmm. the problem of divine foreknowledge and human freedom. That's as old as the hills, uh, as you know. So um, it doesn't take a lot of work to turn that into an anti-theistic consideration, right? So if God exists, then we can't have this certain sort of freedom, a kind of libertarian freedom that involves the power to do otherwise. That's the way it usually goes. Um, and, you know, gosh, things would be worse, right, if we lacked that power. So for sure, we're going to lack that power to do otherwise on theism. It's not so clear we would lack that power to do otherwise on naturalism. So things are worse if theism is true. Right um, now, of course, that's immensely controversial. Not every form of freedom involves the power to do. Otherwise, there are compatibilist accounts of freedom. Some people think there's no tension between divine foreknowledge and human freedom in the first place. So, yeah, there's a huge and uh, and millennia long literature, a multiple millennia long literature on this on this particular issue. But the basic point, I think, is is clear. If you think that God's existence compromises a certain sort of freedom, and you think that that compromising would make things worse in certain ways, then you've got yourself an anti-theistic consideration. Okay. Uh, the next one is one I've mentioned before, privacy, right? So uh, this this really bothers some people, right? Um, that if God exists, then we don't have uh, privacy, right? God knows everything about our bodies and all the parts of our bodies, and God knows everything about our minds. God knows all of our occurrent beliefs and all of our non-occurrent beliefs and dispositions and whatever else we have going on in the mental realm. Uh, God knows all of it, right? Um, um and so uh, a kind of ultimate or perfect privacy is impossible on theism. And some people have said that that's a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can have uh, more privacy on naturalism than we could on theism. Well, there's actually a little, a, a smallish, certainly compared to the freedom literature, there's a smallish literature on uh, on this privacy and God question that's quite interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's controversial too. Uh, next one is the, is, the, is the sense this guy Kahane has, has mentioned and others have picked up on it, um, that in some way, shape, or form, the details need to be fleshed out, of course, but that theism somehow undermines our dignity, right? Hmm. I think that the the general thought is here, we're these really lowly beings compared to God. Maybe you add some story about how God uses us for God's ends, and and that's kind of undignified, and you know we're not kind of um, fully autonomous agents, right? Not in the sense of compromising our freedom, but our, our dignity is reduced if theism is true, right? Uh, this is, you know, Christopher Hitchens or somebody like that certainly would take this kind of view, right? I don't want to live in a world where I'm ruled by some sort of, what does he say, uh, uh, some sort of ultimate, uh, you know, North Korean despot, right? Right. Like that, you know, Um, and not just the privacy stuff, but also dignity. Like it would be an undignified existence to be this kind of worm compared to God, right? Well, of course, Protheus would react to that in various ways, right? There are ways to respond to it, but that's the gist of it. Uh, Fourth one. So um, some have argued that if theism is true, our world is mysterious. There's a kind of ultimate mystery or incomprehensibility to the world on theism that isn't there on naturalism, right? Like maybe the world is somehow more knowable on naturalism than it is on theism. Because at the bottom of it all on theism is God and God's desires and goals and intentions. And and maybe they're fundamentally unscrutable. Maybe, you know, you have to add some story about divine mystery here, right? Maybe, maybe God isn't mysterious, but suppose that God is mysterious in some important sense. Maybe that renders the universe or reality more mysterious on theism than it would be on naturalism. So if so, that's a respect in which things are allegedly worse yeah so yeah and, and maybe if you added in uh, like like a hard physicalism into your naturalism like everything can be made sense of by the 
a, a complete uh, physics. And yeah, so that's right. way more understandable. We don't got to worry about the spooky consciousness or a even spookier divine consciousness or anything like that. That's the, you've got the gist of it. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and then uh, two more. So uh, some people have argued in various ways that, that actually God's existence far from securing morality in the way that, uh, you know, divine command theorists might think uh, God's existence actually undermines morality in various ways. I'll give you a quick example. Suppose you take seriously the pro-theistic consideration that I mentioned a few minutes ago, that sufferers always benefit from their suffering, okay? Mm -hmm. All right, so let's think about how a world would look. You might think at first glance, you might say, oh, that sounds great, right? There's no, there's no ultimately pointless suffering because sufferers are going to ultimately benefit from their suffering. But now, suppose I'm able to reach through the camera and the screen here and punch you in the nose, Parker. I would never, of course, but suppose I were to do that and you have some suffering, right? Well, haven't I now just added some good to the world? Because I, I know on theism that you're going to ultimately benefit from that suffering. It's going to be good for you if I punch you in the nose. So it seems like my reasons for refraining from punching you in the nose have a little less force. And maybe I've now gained a bunch of reasons to go out, go setting about punching people in the nose and far worse, causing all sorts of suffering. Because I think on theism, there's this divine cosmic guarantee that um, God is going to ensure that you're going to um, get some compensating, outweighing benefit from it. Right. So that's a problem for morality on theism that some have alleged. Finally, and I'll be brief here. Some people have said that God's existence um, renders some people's lives meaningless. So far from the opposite view, which I mentioned that God's existence is required for meaning. Some people think that God's existence compromises or undermines or destroys the meaningfulness of at least some people's person's lives. So theism, the truth of theism would be very bad news for such people. If the rest of what, what uh, that one's maybe like the least um, motivated for me. What, what what's the reasoning there? Yeah, good, good. So so this is an argument actually from Kahane's first first paper on this, and here's the gist of it. Right, suppose that um, you have a bunch of life projects and plans and goals, and these are centrally wound up with what it is for your life to be meaningful. Right. Suppose, for example, it's a pursuit of privacy or a pursuit of ultimate understanding. Suppose that's like for you, Parker. That's what really important in your life. So far, so good. You can imagine someone living a life like that, right? A life that's sort of really devoted. Um, I read something recently about this hermit, I forget where, India maybe, who just, uh, who had lived in a cave for 20 years. You know, this, I don't know what his motivations are, but let's suppose he's really, really interested in living a private life. He yeah. came out of the cave, it was in the news because he came out to get vaccinated against the Whoa. coronavirus. So that's a good thing to do, even if you're a hermit, I'm sure. Uh, in any case, so here's someone who's really organized his life around privacy. But then um, uh, Kahane says, uh, the achievement of that goal of perfect privacy is impossible on theism. And secondly, the quest to achieve a goal like that seems somehow tragic or absurd or, you know, really bizarre uh, on theism, right? Like yeah. you're leading, according to this way of thinking, you're leading a kind of absurd life if you organize your life around privacy and privacy is impossible on theism. Right. Okay. So, so you take some of these goods, privacy, understanding, whatever, that God's existence supposedly compromises. You identify a person for whom the achievement or pursuit of that good is fundamental to the meaning of their life. And then you try to argue that their life would be not just rendered a little bit less meaningful, but totally meaningless as a result. Right. That's, yeah. the, that's the shape of the argument. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I totally get that now. Yeah. The hermit makes sense. And, um, some, some form of, of Buddhism where, you know, the, um, dissolution of the ego or something like that, you know, that might be uh, a serious consideration if you're made to be this ego that is a Cartesian ego, even that, uh, that uh, is in permanent relationship with God or something. Right. Like that. Right. right. Yeah. You say, I, I don't want that. I don't want any part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I totally see how this uh, axiology of theism puts you in touch with all sorts of sub-disciplines of philosophy and theology. And this really, really, really cool. Um, I We could spend, you know, hours on each one of those. It's so mm -hmm. fascinating. Um, but there's even more to it when you start putting stuff together. 
Uh, and the, the language is really cool. <laughs> it sounds awesome. So I want to talk about global wide modal space protheism. Okay. Um, it sounds awesome. It sounds like a spaceship or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel I should apologize for the acronym. It's really no way. No way. We love those. We love jam as many together here on, on this podcast. Um, but you got to explain them for us. So, so what, okay. what are those words? What work are those words doing for us? Yeah, good. So just so everyone gets the contrast, right, we've been talking now about um, God's, the the alleged effects for good or for ill uh, on people in their lives uh, in this world, and maybe in worlds that are kind of sort of similar to this world. Okay. So do you remember I said when we were talking about God's existence making things better or worse, so we've got to be very careful about what we mean by things here. So we zeroed in up until now about that we said the things, the locus of axiological evaluation is going to be people or their lives. Well, let's zoom out, right? Let's zoom way out, okay? Global, uh, um, wide modal space for protheism. What on earth does that mean? Well, uh, here's what I think. Your listeners will probably be familiar with the Leibnizian idea that if God exists, this world, the actual world, is the best of all possible worlds. Yeah. That's a pretty familiar idea. It certainly has a long history uh, in the history of philosophy, right? Leibniz is the name most commonly associated with it, but lots of other thinkers have held some version of that view, and it's been widely discussed. Okay, but keep the basic thought before your mind. Some people think that if God exists, this world is the best possible world. All right. But now apply the same logic to not just this world, but every world in modal space. So modal space just means all the possible worlds that there are. That's yep. what I mean by modal space. And, you know, have just peek in. Use your modal telescope and peek in on any one of them. Remember, theism, if true, is necessarily true. So God exists in every one of those worlds. Whatever arguments you thought as a good Leibnizian 10 seconds ago for thinking that if God exists, this world is the best of them all. Surely the same arguments are going to apply over there in that other world you're looking at. Why? Because God exists in that world too. And so God's goodness is playing a role. Uh, God's actions or omissions are playing a role. And what God is going to ensure is that that world too is unsurpassable. Mm -hmm. okay? So my point is the Leibnizian argument generalizes to all the other worlds in modal space. Yeah. Now, this sounds really crazy to a lot of people. <laughs> That's right. right. So the idea here is that every world, so a world is just a way that things might have been. I can get more technical if you like. But every world, if theism is true, is unsurpassable. Maybe there are infinitely many worlds and they differ from each other, but they're all axiologically unsurpassable. There isn't just one best of all possible worlds. They're all the best of all possible worlds, yeah. so to speak. There are yeah. no near-perfect worlds. There are no terrible worlds. There are no so-so worlds. There are only perfect worlds on theism, only unsurpassable worlds. That's the yep. picture. Yeah. Are, are, um, just to get a little technical on the worlds, are they like compossible states of affairs? Uh yeah, so I, as you can imagine, I want to be as neutral as possible in this discussion about different conceptions of what possible worlds are. So a lot of it goes through just fine on a kind of planning a picture where possible okay. worlds are states of affairs. Um, much of the discussion goes through, actually, I think, just fine on a Lewisian view, according to which possible worlds are concrete objects, right? Okay. Um, but not all parts of it. And I can flag that later on if we if we get there. Um, so yeah, my goal, I think it even works on a kind of fictionalism about uh, modality, right? The idea is that uh, these worlds, right, uh, although they're convenient fictions, uh, if they were to be, if they were to be real, they would be, they would be unsurpassable. Why? Because God would ensure that some fact or fact about God's existence or nature or action ensures not only that this world is the best of them all, but that every world is <laughs> the best yeah. of them all. Every world yeah. is unsurpassable. So, um, if every world is unsurpassable, are there some that are more unsurpassable no. than others? No, no, they're There's all no higher, no hierarchy, no hierarchy anymore. They're okay. all tied. Yeah. So how? Um, I mean, this isn't like your view or anything. I don't, I don't think. But, but how? How might uh, someone explain why God chose this this world instead yeah, of oh, a close? Good. 
very good question, right? So you might say, look, there's only one actual world, right? Suppose you think, so now we're setting Lewisian modalism aside <laughs> right. and we're saying there's something really ontologically privileged about the actual world, okay? So you're pressing actually what turns out to be kind of an objection. So full disclosure, I'm quite attracted to this view. Right? Okay. This global, oh, wow. Global awesome. space protheism, right? Um, uh, but there's a lot of serious objections uh, to it and, and you're kind of hinting at one of them, right? So on what basis does God pick you know, world number 812 instead of any of the other worlds when they're just as good as each other, right? On what basis, right? It seems you might say that God couldn't rationally choose this one over that one. And then you might say God isn't worthy of thanks or praise for choosing this world over that one or any of the others. God is, you know, picking from, uh, you know, axiologically indistinguishable um, scenarios, just throwing a dart or something, yeah. Yeah, right, choosing randomly. Some people have said that. Some people have said that God chooses randomly. Um, Peter Van Inwagen, not exactly in this context, but in a related context, speculates that God might, uh, I think it's quite funny, God might issue a decree, let some world be actual. And hey, presto, some world is actualized, yeah. right? Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe that's how God does it. God doesn't throw a literal or metaphorical dart. God just says, let there be a world. God's yeah. commands are uh, uh, come to pass, and so there's a world. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's, uh, you go for three, I think they're all under the category of global wide mortal space protheism. There's the, uh, every world unsurpassable, which you just gave. Yes. But then there's, there's two, um, yes. more moderate ones uh, yeah. elevating up, uh, in, in moderacy. Yeah. That's right. Getting increasingly modest or decreasingly ambitious. Right. Yeah. So the one I was just saying, right. And I have, I have a lot of, uh, um, I feel the pull of it, right? Is that every world is unsurpassable on theism. But maybe you think that's crazy. And there's all kinds of objections I go to in the book. You sketched or hinted at one of them. But suppose you think that one or other of those objections is decisive. But you still think you're a protheist. You still think that God's existence or nature or actions or omissions really does make a difference, not just to our world, but to modal space. Mm -hmm. Okay, well then, hey, I've got a more modest view for you. Here it is. Uh, on theism, every world is good. So that's more modest than saying on theism, every world is unsurpassable. On theism, every world is good, uh, but there's no such guarantee on naturalism. On naturalism, there are good worlds and bad worlds and medium worlds and indifferent worlds and so forth, right? On theism, every world is good. Why? Because some fact about God's existence or nature or activity makes it so. There's a cosmic guarantee that God will ensure. doesn't mean bad things don't happen in those worlds, but overall, those worlds are good and, be, and because of God. All of them are good. This, by the way, is a view that is more widely held by theists than the previous one, right? I mean, Alvin Plantinga thinks a view actually even a little bit stronger than this. Hmm. Alvin Plantinga is on record as saying that on theism, all possible worlds are not just good, but very good. Yeah. Okay, what does very mean? You might have a conversation about that. <laughs> but yeah, so if you don't like the idea that all worlds are unsurpassable on theism, if you think that's just far too much to believe, far too uh, bitter a pill to swallow, so to speak, to our modal intuitions or whatever, you might go with Plantinga and say, look, on theism, all worlds are very good. Mm -hmm. Or you could go with my version, all worlds are good. Or you could go with a still more modest option that we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think I heard you um, talk about this in your Princeton talk where you, uh, I think it was in regards to planning a, you know, could God have chosen a good world? And it's like, well, no, not quite. He's got to choose a very good. And it's like, well, what about the worst of the very good? Yeah, right. Uh, can you, can you, yeah, repersonate that for us? Yeah, good. So that's an objection to this picture. So the picture that I just sketched is this. Hey, listen, here's some good news. Here's some protheistic good news. If God exists, modal space only includes good worlds or very good worlds or whatever, right? And then the objector starts to press that, press the coherence of that picture and says, all right, let's just suppose we're going to give these worlds numbers, you know, and one of them, number one, is the worst of the lot. It's still good, but it's the worst of the lot. And then they go up. Maybe they go up to infinity from there. So every world is good. Number one is the worst one of the bunch. Number 777, that one's far better. And, you know, you can go higher and higher and higher. Maybe there's a limit, maybe there isn't. We can be neutral on that right now. What I want to focus on is that one that's just barely made the cut in our conception of modal space. And here I'm really adapting an argument due to William Rowe in a different but related context. So um, you might think to yourself, well, really? Does that make sense to say that God 
exists in the worst of the lot, the least good of the good worlds, you might say, wait a minute, that would be okay for some sort of, you know, almost perfect being. <laughs> but for a perfect being, you'd expect that perfect being's standards, so to speak, to be a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. So um, it seems like we should put that line in the sand a little bit higher. So let's say that now one, world one, which we just kind of stipulated was good enough and the least of the good enough worlds, let's move the line up. Let's move it just up above number one. So one is now out of the picture. Well, guess what? The same question is going to come. Let's talk about world two, Parker. Uh, <laughs> world two is now the worst of the lot. Is that really good enough for God? Maybe we should move it up. You can see where this is going, right? Um, either the threshold is going to seem uh, arbitrary uh, or it's going to seem uh, always surpassable. In other words, no threshold like that is ever going to be good enough, in which case it seems like one of two things happen. If there's a top member of the series, then you might argue the only threshold that's worth having for God is the threshold just before the top, in which case this scenario that I've just been talking about where every world is good really just collapses into the last crazy scenario. Right. <laughs> the scenario so many people think is crazy where every world is unsurpassable. Uh, or if there's no best of all possible worlds, they're all good, but they just get better and better and better. If none of them is good enough, then the scenario is incoherent. Yeah. Right then, you then the scenario that I've just said uh, described using words doesn't make sense because it right. turns out on this argument that none of them is good enough for God. Yeah. Okay, so then someone might say, "Well, I got even one even less uh, ambitious, and that's uh, overall better." Right? Yeah. Good. So, um, so you know, and I'm not opining on whether the, any of these objections are decisive, but suppose you think that the idea that every world is unsurpassable is way too ambitious. Suppose you think that the idea that every world is good on theism is too ambitious. I've got a more modest alternative for you, and it's this: as you said, uh, every world is better. Every world is better on theism than on naturalism. So that's the comparison. So pick any world you like in modal space. Um, ask yourself, would that world be better if God exists or if God doesn't exist? The Proteus says, in all cases, that world is going to be better if God exists. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think in this scenario, uh, one of the, I, I love the, the counter examples and stuff. Uh, there's like a best or, or better, uh, overall better world. And it's really close to like a overall worse, but there's, there's like, they get really close. Is, is... Oh, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Right. So so this is a kind of objection to to uh, right. Well, basically, whatever I say of you, uh, someone comes along and says, well, here's an <laughs> objection to even stating that view coherently. So here's the comparative view. And then I'll explain the objection that I think you're getting at. So the view is this. Um, every world is better on theism than it would be on naturalism that's the view every world is better on theism than it than that world would be on naturalism the usual way in possible worlds talk to unpack that judgment is to say here's what you do you take any world and then you any theistic world excuse me and then you look at its closest naturalistic counterpart the world mm -hmm. that is naturalistic but as similar as it could possibly be to the theistic world and you say this one's better than that one that's what i mean by every world better you pick a theistic world you compare it to the closest possible naturalistic alternative and you say a is better than b end of story okay so then the objection is whoa what do you mean what do you mean the closest possible alternative right uh, maybe there's no such thing right if your comparative judgment depends upon there being a closest possible alternative and there's no such thing. That's bad news for your comparative judgment, yeah. right? Maybe there's ties. Maybe worlds get asymptotically closer and closer and closer right. and closer without any uh, limit, right? Those are two ways in which that scenario could fail to be true. Maybe closest is ambiguous with you know between multiple different understandings of what closest means. Maybe there's vagueness, right? Yeah. There's all sorts of ways that you might resist the claim that there's exactly one closest, you know, naturalistic counterpart of every theistic world. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's so good. It's so interesting. So um, I want to move to to local modal um, because I think someone might go, well, look, okay, we can talk and opine. We can do all this theoretical stuff about possible worlds. Let's talk about the real world. And uh, I think that's what we're getting at when we talk about local modal space protheism. It's like the, the one that we've got 
uh, that's what we're dealing with. Is that is that right? Yeah. So um, I use the term slightly differently, but I think I know what you're driving at. So someone might say, oh, all this speculation about various fanciful possible worlds, that's not for me. I want to talk about the real world. So that mm-hmm. kind of person, right? Then you might say, all right, well, let's talk about that. Let's forget about all these other worlds. Let's just talk about this world. And here we come to the protheistic claim. Leibniz is one example of it. But never mind all the other worlds. If God exists, this world right here, this actual world is perfect, unsurpassable, very good, good, better than it would otherwise be, any sort of version of that you could cash out, right? Mm-hmm. The usual version, uh, that, that, or the version that's gotten the most discussion is, of course, the thought that if God exists, the actual world is the best possible world. That's the Leibnizian thought, right? So the advantage of uh, construing the debate this way is to say, look, we don't have to worry. If we're modal skeptics, we don't have to worry about all these other possible worlds. We're just going to talk about this world, right? And so, yeah, Leibniz and others have thought that if, uh, if God exists, this right here this uh is the best of all possible worlds um uh and if that's so that's an important protheistic uh consideration right i call that actual world protheism it's a protheism about the actual world actual okay okay um and so there's this um dr feinberg john feinberg like hammered us in his problem of evil class about not saying there's a best possible world, and I think it's I think it's originally from Plantinga, right? Just you could always add one more palm tree mm-hmm. or something like that. And uh, you have you have a really interesting take on this, you, where you, you kind of give some some pushback against that, I, I believe, right? Like, uh, can you can you help us with that idea? So absolutely. So the, the most famous and important objection to the to the well, I don't. Let me back up. If someone holds this conditional claim, if theism is true, this is the best of all possible worlds. Here are two ways to resist the claim. The first one is, uh, you know, Voltaire's way and others is to say, oh, uh, no, it's not. This is not the best of all possible world and give some argument from, you know, improvability or hiddenness or evil or whatever. Right. Yeah. You read a novel about some guy, poor guy getting beat up everywhere. Yeah. Right. Right. That's the gist of the uh, objection. But another way is to say, no, 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 no. This conditional expresses uh, a mistake. It encodes a mistake. It's a mistake to think that if God exists, then this is the best possible world. Why? Because there's no such thing as the best of all possible worlds. That's the that's the objection that I think you're thinking of here. And this is basically dogma in contemporary analytic philosophy religion. This is why your professor was beating it into you, right? It's almost universally agreed that there's no best of all possible worlds. That for any world you can think of, there's a better world. Not unique to Plantinga. Aquinas held a version of that view, and lots of other thinkers have as well. But Plantinga certainly held it, and Plantinga says, yeah, you know, you could always add, uh, you know, one more beautiful sunset or one more palm tree. Swinburne says you could always add one more happy agent. Uh, people say all sorts of things like yeah. this, right? So I have some gentle pushback in the book. I'm, I'm really indebted to a, an under, uh, a neglected uh, paper here due to Anders Kroll, where um, I really recommend it to people, where he, he just sort of points out how thin the the actual thought experiments or arguments are for this hasty claim that there's no best of all possible worlds, right? Oh, you could always add another happy person. Well, well, maybe, uh, but more argument is needed to show that that would always be better. And more argument is needed to show that that entails that there's no best of all possible worlds. Maybe there are worlds without persons that are better than all the worlds with persons. Like, who knows, mm. right? So a lot more argument is needed. I think it's far too hasty for the Plantigas and the Swinburns and others to simply say, oh, well, you could always add one more thing, right? Um, uh, I think more work is needed than that to show that there's no best of all possible worlds. Now, maybe the view is correct. Maybe there is no best of all possible worlds. And it's certainly orthodoxy right now. Um, But look, if the strategy here, if we're thinking about the theist, right, the theist often wants to appeal to this move to block the um, argument from atheism, which says this is not the best of all possible worlds. I think they go from the frying pan to the fire, so to speak, because I think, and this is not on topic, but I think that the problem of no best world is a very formidable argument against theism. Hmm. Um, So, but that's maybe a topic for another day. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really, really interesting. And uh, man, it's, it's one of my favorite things in philosophy when someone challenges the, the kind of status quo. Um, I think about uh, Pascal's wager and how that was kind of just, we know that's, and now all this new work and it's, it's so fascinating. I I think of, you know, Descartes dictum, the, the cogito and people defending. I love when people do that. So, any kind of pushback, I think, is really interesting. There might be some sort of law of diminishing returns when it comes to happiness. And if you add one more, it actually wouldn't be as good. Or, um, yeah, that's that's super fascinating. I want to think about that one. Uh, there are some even more. 
abstract versions, right? So, so Daniel Rubio thinks there's no best of all possible worlds, and he says he doesn't talk about people or sunsets or whatever. He talks about locations of value. Whatever the locations of value are in a world, you could always add another location. And then let's talk about the intensity of each location in a world. You could always add greater intensity. So, no best of all possible worlds. Well, maybe, right? I mean, maybe that's exactly right. Um, but you know, it's it's true that the you never run out of numbers or you never run out of transfinite cardinalities, but maybe the metaphysics doesn't fully track the mathematics here, right? Yeah. Maybe there's a metaphysical limit to how much value you can stick in a world, even if there's no mathematical limit to the number of locations of value or their degree of intensity or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, it's not obvious to me anyway that the that the probative force of the intuitions on one side is greater than than that uh, on the other side. There are also um, you know arguments which I've defended too for the claim that some sort of multiverse is in fact the best of all possible worlds. So that's the way to defeat the idea that there's no best of all possible worlds is to describe a world that is the best of all possible worlds, and then you go and you do that. And you, maybe you call it a multiverse, or maybe you call it something else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um... I think people have told me, I think a lot of people have told me about that, actually. I need to, to read up on that a little bit more. So the one interesting uh, disanalogy between uh, the typical way the best possible world uh, scenario is, is looked at, it's like, well, it's best for the persons in the world. But I wonder, um, like the global-wide modal space protheism, if you – if Modal space is better uh, on theism than naturalism due to God's existence, nature, or activity. Then it's it's better world because God's in it, and so uh, all these calculations about the pleasure or pain of uh, uh, creatures, it, it it's not focusing on that area. It's focusing on God, and if God's in this world, it's better. Uh, is is that? I think that's really fascinating. That might be a way of getting around, or just you're you're flipping. Um, the kaleidoscope and we're focusing uh, on God instead of trying to do calculus on, on pleasure and pain. Well, that's certainly one way to do it. You might say, look, um, uh, God um, is a supremely valuable uh, axiological object. If I can talk that way, yeah. um, add God to any world and you've just added like surpassing, you know, infinite amounts of, of value. That's going to swamp everything else. Right. Yeah. Um, so all it takes is to add, you know, the overall value of a world surely has something to do with the, uh, with the value of the parts that make up a world, and God, yeah. by the way, is in possible worlds, not sort of outside of them, right? So God is an element in possible worlds. Bit of a funny way uh, to, to talk if you're used to thinking of this theistically, but anyway, that's the way philosophers talk in that's possible right. worlds language, right? So God is in the world. God is a constituent element of these worlds, a very important one, and a supremely valuable one. So uh, for any world that includes this element, it's going to just, you know, flood flood the uh, flood the uh, world with uh, with goodness, let's say, yeah. right? Yeah. No. So, oh, go, go ahead, ahead go please. Ahead. No, no, no. no. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, so flight. Um, okay. So, um, I work with a lot of Gen Zers, and they got weird language, but uh, they use this language of based and uh, cringe. Are you, are you familiar with these terms? No, at all? I'm way too old okay. for that. So, so let me see. Let me see if I can. Yeah, if I can. Uh, finally, I have a word that I have to explain to you. So, uh, based is like, uh, it's like. You have like cojones, like you're standing your ground, you're standing your position. That's super based. Like doesn't matter what the crowd's saying, you're saying what you believe. And cringe, okay. cringe is the opposite of based. Cringe is like weak and like gross, and you're trying to like please people. Um, I think that's what they're they're picking out. So I think that uh, the global wide modal space protheism is like if you're taking the 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 route that we just talked about, super based. Someone someone says, hey, uh, you know, there's a possible world and all that exists is a cockroach, but then you add God to it and now all of a sudden it's a it's an unsurpassable world and you just go, yes. And I think that's awesome. I, I love that idea. Yeah, right. Okay, good. So uh, a kind of bold or courageous view to use the language yeah. of my generation, right? Okay, so yeah, sure, right? A cockroach plus God is an infinitely valuable world. A, co uh, a world like ours plus God is an infinitely valuable world. That's yeah. equally good, right? Because yeah. uh, God's goodness just sort of swamps everything else, right? Yeah. There are obviously objections to this sure. way of talking, but I, but I think if you're serious about God's goodness uh, and the axiological import thereof, you should, you should take this notion seriously. I don't think you should set 
it aside. The harder case is going to be, ah, yeah, but what about a world that contains God and some animal who suffers pointlessly for its whole entire existence? You know, it's 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 bred to stick a fork in its eye over and over and over again, and it lives uh, infinitely. It's an immortal, self-harming um, agent who suffers, yeah. you know. Um, but there, I think the response is to say, well, you can't just stipulate that that's coherent with theism. Right. <laughs> right? Because you've, you define God in a certain way that might pre- preclude any that's of right. those as possible worlds. That's right. It would be a pretty, pretty quick argument from these characteristics of God to the conclusion that uh, that a world like that, though you can describe it, isn't possible on theism. It might be possible on naturalism, right? Yeah. It could be some planet that's evolved that way or that's that's turned out that way in our universe, for crying out loud, um, but, uh, but or in some far-off region of the actual multiverse <laughs> or whatever, right? right. Uh, but, but it's going to be hugely contested whether that's possible, whether that's so much as possible on theism. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So um, when you said that you uh, are, are slightly partial or, or you're intrigued, I forgot the exact language you used about global wide yeah. uh, modal space. Did you, um, when, when you have that in mind, is that the um, unsurpassable uh, overall good overall better? Is it, is it all of them or is it one of them? Yeah, well, I'm attracted to all of them, right? Uh, I, you know, I get more worried about the ambitious ones, and then I want to move to the more modest one that, you know, every world is better on theism than on not theism or whatever. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm attracted to all of them. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sort of powerfully moved by the, by the Leibnizian insight that God's existence has to make a difference to the overall value of the world. And it's got to make a positive difference to the overall value of the world. And that argument isn't somehow confined to our surroundings here in the actual world. That argument seems to apply to other worlds as well. Right. That's so cool. I love that. I got to think about that more. I'm so glad you, that that's based. That's totally, that's totally <laughs> based, man. That's awesome. I love that. Oh man. It's really, really encouraging. And I'm, I'm excited about this project that you've really helped push along. Um, I think it, it's got implications, uh, or applications in Calvinism, Arminianism debates like that, that kind of stuff is cool. I think that kind of already happens a little bit, but um, yeah, it can spread out to, to uh, different philosophy uh, of religion problems. So it's really fun. It's really cool. And uh, really just an intriguing project. So I'm so glad that you took this up and, and uh, worked on it. Uh, If if somebody wanted to hear more from you or read more of your work, uh, where, where, where can they find you at? Yeah, so, uh, you know, just Google me. My name's unusual enough that you won't pull up a lot of hits that don't uh, involve me. And, uh, you know, I've I've got this little book that I just finished on. I've got some papers on my website. I've got some other interviews like this one. So, and I'm happy, of course, if people want to email me and ask me questions about this stuff. Um, Just, I I was only thinking about it yesterday. And so I wanted to mention, you know, the famous quote from Julian of Norwich, right? That I think has a real pro-theistic bent to it, right? So she has a vision of Jesus, you know, in in a dream where, in a revelation or some sort of mystical experience, right? The great medieval mystic. And Jesus tells her, uh, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that's a pro-theistic sentiment, if ever there was one, right? Now, I, as the philosopher, I want to say, okay, all manner of things. What do we mean by things? And then you're off to the races again, <laughs> right? But the, the basic sentiment is necessary. Uh, sorry, the basic sentiment is, uh, is a pro-theistic one, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so I'd love to to continue this conversation uh, again on on this topic. I hope I hope you're not done. Are you are you putting uh are you putting this away for a while, or is this just the beginning? And you're going to continue work on this? Well, I think I'm going to continue to work on it. The the project of this book and the thing that I found really so difficult. It was a short book, but my goodness, I was trying to marshal the the literature into some sort of unified whole to distinguish various positions in a, in a, I hope to clear away than had been done before and to push the discussion forward a little bit here and there. So I've done that. The book's now out, uh, but it's just, you know, as ever, it's just prompted more questions and thoughts. So I've got a lot more, uh, I think, that I'll probably wind up saying about it. Awesome. Yeah, there's a lot to say, and there's it, it's so cool. It intersects so many areas. Uh, I think a really interesting one would be gratuitous evil. I know you've done some some thinking mm-hmm. about that, uh, too. So maybe we could have you back on to talk about that. Sure, um, I yeah. Yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, that's going to have to do it, folks. Uh, this was a great conversation, and uh, Lord willing, it'll happen again. And uh, if this world is surpassable, then I think it has to happen again. So uh, that's going to do it for now. This has been Parker's Pensies, and as always, all glory to God.